Thank you, Tom, for reading God's word. Let's open in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, what a gift it is, thinking of Tom's prayer, to cast our cares upon you. Um, And in the helplessness that we often feel in world events and even in our own lives, that we can always turn to you. You always hear us. You always empower us. You're always with us. And so it's in that spirit we ask that you would open our hearts to what you have for us this morning. Teach us from your word and give us uh, the strength to respond. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew, and I'm a pastor on staff here. And uh, it's exciting to be here with you. So thanks for for coming. And I've shared this the last few weeks, I think, that I've been up here. Um, So maybe just grant me one more time. But so my wife and I moved recently. And I know there's so many illustrations I got to use. I got to use this thing now. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But for those of you who have moved, you know that the process of unpacking is really slow and you, you keep finding random boxes that you thought you were done and you find another one. But anyway, uh, you, you, you also end up finding old stuff that you spend way too much time looking through, you know, stuff that you didn't remember that you had or um, jog, kind of jogs your memory. And I, I found an old journal of mine uh, a few weeks ago, actually, and I, I started re- rereading through it from my college days, this, this journal I'd kept. And most of it, honestly, most of it was about uh, how hard it was to be friends with Becca, who's now my wife, because she was dating someone else at the time, and I was so torn up about that. Um, <laughs> it, was, I mean, it was hard, right? Um, I adored Becca the second I saw her. It took her a while to kind of see it the other way around. <laughs> but, so yeah, she's in some ways still working on it. Thank you, Walt. Um, but a few of, these, of the entries were actually pretty hard to read. Um, I was, at the time, really wrestling with some deep sin in my life that I didn't know how to escape, I didn't know how to combat, I didn't know where to go. And it was so evident uh, in those entries, my deep disappointment uh, in myself, uh, and at at points in the God who promised to change me. And I had been a believer for some time by that point, and uh, in many ways, though, I still felt like the big mess that I was before I came to faith. And if you've been a believer for a while, you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know this, that at some point in your Christian life, you will feel this way. Like you should be farther along than you actually are. And you aren't living up to what you know is right and to what you actually desire to be and do. It can happen very early in your faith. It can happen well into maturity. And it can happen anywhere in between. And it can happen more than once. And that moment, whenever it, when it happens, when it hits us, Uh, usually it happens kind of when we take a look in the mirror. We realize that despite our faith and our orthodoxy and our church attendance and whatever else we add to that list, we feel like the same person we've always been. We feel that way. We still have this problem or I still have this issue or I still have this sin or I still have this question in my life. And it feels like I just can't help it. I just can't get over it. And those moments, when they come, in many ways they are watershed moments for our faith. They can drive us to disappointment with God. They really can. Like his promises aren't worth trusting. Or they can serve as a wake-up call. A way to shake us from complacency and force us to ask the difficult question and wrestle with a difficult reality that I want to change, I'm called by God to grow, but I just don't know how. So what am I missing? What's missing here? So what are we missing? Well, we're learning this morning 
about Christian growth in our series, does it, does it really matter? Um, what, does it, what does it mean to grow as a Christian, to mature in our faith and character? Uh, how do we do it? And uh, we each bring our own baggage, I think, to these questions. I think some of us have become really cynical to, to growth and character. We just don't think it's, it's possible anymore. Even as believers, we just don't think change is possible. You've tried so hard in a certain area of your life with so little result that you can point to that you've really begun to the question whether this thing is possible or not. And uh, for others of us, I think maybe who aren't even believers yet, you wrestle with faith in general because you know too many believers who just don't seem to practice what they claim to believe. And faith seems useless to you, so it's kind of a why bother thought. And for still others, you're listening to this message right now and you're already starting to check out. You're thinking, I'm fine, I've done the Bible study thing, I've done the men's group, the women's group, the service project, I know I'm a mature believer, I've heard this sermon before, and I just don't think I need to hear this right now. Um, you think that you're, you're fine where you are, you don't need this. Well, I think we all need this message because no matter where you find yourself this morning, your knee-jerk reaction to this message is probably wrong. Because growth in faith is absolutely possible. It absolutely changes people, and it's really hard work, no matter how mature you are in your faith. It's always hard work. You're never too mature for this. So what are we missing? Back to our question, what are we missing? What does the Bible teach us about Christian growth? Well, Second Peter tells us right here, this whole letter in many ways is about growth, growth in faith. The last verse of the letter, we're not looking at that chapter, but the last verse of the letter says we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the last thing Peter says to, his, to the congregation who received this letter. Grow, there's that word, grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Specifically this morning, Peter gives us three things. He gives us three principles of Christianity that we cannot forget whenever we think about growing. How does God change us? How does it work? That's what Peter's talking about here. Because when we understand the Bible on this subject, we see that there are these three resources that I mentioned. Three unique things in the Christian life that equip us to grow like nothing else. And every worldview, every self-help book out there promises change. But only Christianity has these three things. And the first thing is, and you see it in our passage this morning, the first thing is that Christians have a brand new motivation for growth. There's a new motivation for why and how we grow. And if you haven't turned to Second Peter yet, you can do that now. Don't be afraid to use your table of contents. It's, it's a harder book to find if you're not used to the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1. Let's read verses 3 and 4. So Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of that divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And we're not going to read it, but the very next verse begins, Peter says, for this very reason, right? Everything I've just, for, for everything I've just said, for this reason, grow in these character traits. And we'll get to those in a second. I point that out. The, the verses we just read, these are the motivation for Peter. Peter's saying, here's your motivation for why and how you should grow. And when you dig into these verses, you begin to, 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 to see that a conversation on Christian growth cannot begin without a radically new vision for our motivation. And you see that that motivation uniquely begins with God's divine power and God's calling and God's promises and God's initiative. That's where Peter starts this conversation. 
He says, of course, growth is possible. Supernatural growth in character and in wisdom and in freedom from sin and addiction is possible, though, first because of what God has done. The gospel, the good news of what God has done is our new motivation. And this is so important. It is so fundamental that we need to talk about this for just a minute. So you see, in general, in general, the, re- the religious and irreligious approach to growth, to holiness, to maturity, whatever word you want to use there, is the opposite of what I've just said. Most systems say something to the effect of, and some are nicer than others, but essentially they say, you're a mess. You're immature, you're unholy, whatever category you use there. You have a big problem. And until you grow, until you mature, until you work, you will never get close to God, you will never get close to heaven, you will never enter paradise, whatever. And so the motivation at that point for your growth and change is fear or it's guilt or it's pride. It's always one of those three. The idea is I've got to get it right or else, right? That's fear and guilt. Or I need to prove how good a person I really am. I can do this. That's pride. Now, um, there's a crude way of putting this, this distinction we're trying to make, but I think it's really helpful. Most religious systems, when it comes to growth and maturity, are like dating, Most religious systems are like dating, and Christianity is like marriage. And there are lots of big differences between those two things, but but, uh, when you're dating someone, you are working incredibly hard to impress them, right? It's just how dating works. You you take them to La Bodega even though you can't, you really can only afford Wendy's, but you do it anyway. (laughs) You don't tell them that you play World of Warcraft on the first date, or that, you know, that your favorite movie is Weekend at Bernie's. Um... (laughs) Which is pretty bad, actually, if that's your favorite movie. But you don't share your flaws, do you? No. Why not? Because you're motivated by fear of rejection. Or you're motivated by pride of how this person's going to see you. If you can't keep this thing together, the whole thing could fall apart. So you work really hard, usually, to be something that you're actually not. To avoid rejection. That's how dating works. Christianity is different. The gospel says that God wants to marry you. He doesn't want to date you. He wants to marry you. God isn't interested in dating you. He sees through all that stuff anyway. It's a waste of his time. (laughs) He wants to marry. The marriage metaphor is all over the Bible. It's everywhere. God wants to marry you no matter where you are right now. The final picture, when Jesus returns and heaven comes down to earth in Revelation, the final picture we get in the Bible is the picture of a wedding. The gospel says that while we were sinners, despite our flaws and our sins, God wants to be with us. Because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We are now engaged to God. We are already wedding planning. That's the picture. Now talk to anyone who's married. When you you get married, the facades come down. The fakeness goes away. You just can't keep it up 24-7. You can't do it. And in many ways, changing and growing with your spouse is much harder than convincing someone that you're dating that you're worthy of their affection. It's a harder work. It's a deeper work. But the motivation is completely different, you see. I do the dishes at home, not because I'm afraid that Becca will reject me if I don't, though I guess she could, but that's not why I do it. It's because it makes her happy. See, two different motivations. It's something that she desires that I can do. And I've changed because of my marriage, but for completely different motives, and that is Christianity. And Peter says, We have been equipped with all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have the gospel. 
when we give our lives to Christ and his sacrifice on the cross purchases our lives, we are already married to God. That's the promise. He is all in. He isn't going anywhere. He knows we're a mess, but he's committed. And a response to his commitment, our motivation, starts with a joyful obedience to him and not a, not a fearful one. Now, even as I say that, many of you get that. You've been coming to this church for a while. You've heard that before. You know we have a new motivation, and, and you're, you're thinking, yeah, I get that, but I'm still not growing. I know that, but it's not leading to anything. So, so I, I still default to this bad attitude, or I still struggle with this. Well, that's fair enough. It's a fair question. But like any married couple will tell you, getting married is the beginning of the hard work, not the end of it. We have a new motivation for growth in the Christian faith, but we also need a new strategy for growth. We need a new strategy. There's a new strategy the faith gives us in how we grow. You see, it's hinted at in verse 5 from Peter. Verse 5, Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And you see, Peter is very specific here about the nature of Christian growth and how it works. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith or add to your faith. And then he lists those virtues. And here we see that our initial faith in the gospel, and this is so important, our trust in what Jesus has done must lead to growth. There's just no way around it. The Christian life, though motivated by a joyful obedience, must result in growth. Otherwise, it's an indicator that our faith is not genuine. That's why Peter says, supplement your faith. This Greek word for supplement or add has the idea of rounding something out, completing it, making it whole, taking it where it's supposed to go. Faith in this sense is where we start and by the resources God gives, his Holy Spirit. We learned about that last week. The Bible, or I'm sorry, a few weeks ago, the Bible, the church, all these resources that God gives us, through those we begin to furnish our faith with growth in character and wisdom, which, which he lists specifically here what that looks like. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, affection, and finally, love. And right here, this reveals in many of us what I call a strategy problem when it comes to Christian growth. A strategy problem. There are probably more than just two strategy problems, but these are the two that I, I commonly encounter with other people and uh, that I've encountered in my own life. The first strategy problem is the tendency we have to think that growth in the Christian life is secondary. It's a secondary thing. Sometimes it's not even conscious. We don't even think it. Um, but we have a tendency to, to live as if the real goal of the Christian life is to ask Jesus into our hearts. But that's the goal. And if we change a little bit or we become nicer people because of our decision for Christ, even better. But that's really just the icing on the cake. We're content with our born-again card. And as often, this is often where the charge of hypocrisy among Christians carries some weight. The practicing what we preach thing sometimes seems like a low priority. And of course, that simply isn't true. It's not a low priority. 
Peter makes this clear right here. He, add, he, he says, add to your faith virtue, character, compassion. Faith is something we always need, but it's meant to lead to real growth in our lives. In other words, if you aren't seeing virtue in your life, if it isn't being added to your faith, then you've misunderstood what biblical faith actually is. That's why in our statement of faith as a church, it says, we believe that God's justifying grace, that is declaring us holy on the cross, must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose, that is actually making us holy, making us into what he called us to be. God certainly finds us and saves us no matter where we are in life, what morally, emotionally, relationally, no matter where you are. He's not afraid of your mess. But he does not want to leave you where he finds you. Of course not. Growth is the whole point of the Christian faith in many ways. Growth. It's not secondary. Okay, second strategy problem is the tendency to think that growth in the Christian life is magical or that it's mystical. This is the person that has faith, even a very deep faith, but they assume that that faith, that head knowledge, will automatically work in their life to change them. Automatically. They don't need to put any effort behind it at all. All you need to do is believe the truth and accept the faith and the growth and the change will take care of itself. And you you make your decision and you're all done. There's nothing left for me to do. All of my growth is God's job. Growth happens magically. It happens out of thin air. And it's a very common misconception. And again, Peter simply doesn't let us get away with this. He he literally says, not to God, but to us, to you, you, all of you make every effort to add virtue to your faith. There's work not simply for God to do, but for us to do. And the growth we need is supernatural to be sure, but it is not magical. It requires real effort on our part, effort. So there's this sense in which God initiates this change in us. He empowers it. He desires it. This growth is at the core of what he wants for us. But we must find ways and we need a strategy to come alongside what God is doing and work with him to change us. We need to add to our faith virtue. So what's the secret? What's the strategy? How do we move from faith to virtue? And here's where I will disappoint you as a preacher if I haven't done so already. Because we, and I include myself here, we are a part of a culture of instant gratification and magic bullet solutions and outpatient surgeries. We want results. We want them quickly. We want them cheaply. We want them easily. And unfortunately, that's just not biblical. It's just not. You cannot short-circuit Christian growth. You can't do it. And the strategy that Peter alludes to here is this. Here it is. Christian growth takes practice. That's the word he uses. Practice. Practice and discipline. Practice and discipline. It takes intentionality, hard work, constant refinement and adjustment. And there's really nothing magical about that, is there? And as we talk about this, I just have to be honest with you. I feel like a couch potato telling you how to run a marathon right now because this is hard for me. Seriously, it is. This is hard for me. I've always struggled with this, but this is the strategy for growth the Bible lays out, period, discipline. This is it. You can read the whole thing. It's all throughout there. The Bible is so clear that the person we become, our character, is largely the product of the little habits that we practice in our lives every day. 
We tend to think that the big moments of life are what shape us the most, and, and they certainly can do that, but mostly it's what we do every day that makes us the people who we are. And when the big character tests come, our reaction to them is basically the product of who we've been in the smaller and duller moments every single day. And if you keep indulging in your desire, for example, if you keep indulging in your desires, no matter how small or insignificant they are, the more you will become the kind of person who lacks self-control. One of the characteristics that Peter lists here And here's how Dallas Willard puts it. And if you haven't heard that name before, it means you're new here. Dallas Willard uh, is a Christian author, highly influential in our thinking on this subject at Christ Community Church. Uh, He's with the Lord now, but uh, incredible writer and thinker. Here's how he put this point. He said, how you train off the spot in the small decisions of life determines your performance on the spot when the real tests and the real crises of life come. What we do off the spot determines our performance on the spot. So what disciplines every day do we need to introduce into our lives to keep growing? There are lots of disciplines. There are lots of books. There are lots of traditions that are very helpful uh, in this conversation. Well, I just want to highlight what I call the big three. And if we just did these consistently, I think the results in our lives would be dramatic. And here they are. Daily Bible reading. That's why we've worked so hard with Open Here uh, to get us reading our Bibles every day. Daily Bible reading, daily prayer, setting time aside to, to listen to God, to, to pray to Him, and intentional community with other Christians. That's why we, we want everyone in a community group, in a small group of people. Okay, Those are the three. Daily prayer, daily Bible reading, intentional community. I can't unpack these too much right now, but the idea is that if we are reorienting ourselves to God's Word every day, and we are creating space to ask him for help and direction in prayer every day, and allowing other people around us to hold us accountable and push us on, so we can't do this alone, these disciplines serve us well to grow and practice being the kind of people who have the character traits that Peter lists here. And the proof is in the pudding. You can see this in your own life, I'm sure. In general, the times where I feel God is most distant or I feel at my lowest, or my faith feels its shakiest, are generally the times I've stopped really engaging in these daily disciplines. There's almost always a correlation between those two things. Almost always. The disciplines, and I just want to take a moment, are also a major step in making faith your own. So students and children here, uh, if you've been raised in the church, I, I want to point this out, it's really easy to think you're growing in your faith because you attend here. And that's great. But a huge step in your faith will be when you begin engaging in those disciplines, daily Bible reading, daily prayer, intentional community, on your own, under your own power, your own decision. It's a big faith step for you. So think about that this week. But it isn't enough to have the spiritual disciplines to really grow. We also need to have a spiritual perspective for this strategy to work. So we need, the, we need the spiritual disciplines. We also need this, a spiritual perspective, what I call it, for this to work. And many people I know who practice the disciplines very well uh, still struggle with character growth issues because they don't have, their perspective is off. We need the spiritual disciplines and, this, and spiritual perspective. And the first principle here is that Christian growth is about priority, not margin. 
It's about priority and not margin. Now, oftentimes during a sermon like this, people begin to think and say to themselves, I love what you're saying, but I just don't have time. I don't have time to do that every day. I don't have time. And we are a time-starved people. I get that. It's true. Lots of responsibilities. Increased connectivity. There's lots of stuff to do. But, but really, that reflects a spiritual perspective problem because Peter in this text does not say, make as much effort as you can to add virtue to your faith. He says, make every effort. Every effort. In other words, this stuff is priority number one. That's what Peter's saying. But we all fall, I do this too, we fall into the trap of margin. Our response to a call for discipline is usually, well, how am I going to make margin in my day for that? When Peter's, if Peter were here, he would say, how are you going to make margin for everything else in your day? That's the question. Because this is priority one. Priorities determine how we use time. Nothing profound about that. Priorities determine how we use our time. There's always margin for a top priority. You never think, oh, I just didn't have time to breathe today. Why not? Because it's, it's priority one. You have to do it. For growth to happen, it must be a top priority in your life. Other things get left undone before you're reading your prayer, your community time. And he, here I am, guilty as charged, okay? I'm with you here. But we can't get around what Peter's saying. Priority one. And in general, if you sense in your life that you're too busy for the spiritual disciplines, it means that you've mistaken margin for priority. How might you reprioritize your life? That's the question. How might you reprioritize your life if you truly believed that growth was as essential to your faith as Peter is saying here? What would that look like? Second perspective on growth that we all have to keep in mind is that Christian growth is about progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. And if you look down at verse 6, Peter says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So Peter's question to us is not, are you perfectly self-controlled? But are you growing in self-control? Are you growing in godliness? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? And many of us fall into the perfection trap. And this, this trap manifests itself actually in several different ways, at least that, that I could think of. Sometimes... It looks like this. It's the person who leads the most disciplined life possible. They're very disciplined. But they do, some from a pl- they do so from a place to earn God's approval. It's not effort they're putting forward. They are trying to get earning from God. They're earning what God has already freely given them. They have the wrong motivation. They can't accept anything less than perfection from themselves. And really, though their disciplines look great... Their hard work is moving them further and further from God's gospel and God's grace. Sometimes it looks like that. Other people, they aren't disciplined at all because their perfectionism is paralyzing to them. They don't realize that this is about progress. This is about one foot in front of the other. It's not always going to be pretty. God rejoices over every step forward, no matter how small or insignificant it seems to us in the moment. And think of God like any father in many ways, sees our first stumbling steps forward as the most exciting, the most important. Like a toddler learning how to walk, okay? Progress, not perfection. This dynamic also explains why some Christians, true believers, are more mature than others, than other true believers. God moves us forward starting right where he finds you. 
Some of us have more baggage than others. Some, we have more public sins and struggles than others. That's okay. Are you growing? That's why the most mature Christian people, the people you really want to be around, don't judge those who are farther behind. Because that's not the point. We rejoice together over every step forward. You aren't perfect. I'm not perfect. This side of heaven, I don't think we will be, but are we progressing? Are we growing? Are we examining ourselves habitually? Do we ask other people to gauge our growth with us? Do we invite other people to be honest with us about where we are? The speed and distance we cover in growth is much less important than the direction of our growth. Are we moving forward or backward? Are we progressing? Okay, third perspective on growth that we all need. Christian growth is about moving in, not moving on. And here's, here's what we mean by that. Peter here, it's, it's implied here, Peter here gives one list, one list to everyone. Now, no doubt the congregation receiving this letter had people ranging from, just like here, baby Christian, new believer, to mature, mature Christian. But they all get one list. Peter doesn't say, if you're new to your faith, do this. If you're kind of in between, do this. If you're really mature, do this. Here's one list for everybody. That's because no matter how far along you are in the process of growth, you do not move on from the basics that Peter lists here. It's more that the basics move deeper in, deeper into you. Sometimes we fall into the checklist trap when it comes to our growth. We say, well, I took care of that problem. What's next? It doesn't work that way usually. When I first became a Christian, I thought I, I was true, and this is, I, I thought I was growing, and I really was, growing in perseverance, kind of steadfastness, because I stopped drinking at parties as an underage person. That was a big step for me. But now, years later, years into my faith, I'm trying to keep uh, persevering in my work and in a growing family and fears about finances in the future. And you see, I'm dealing with the same virtue in both instances. But now that process has moved by God's grace much deeper into the more subtle idols of my heart. It's, hard, it's deeper, it's harder. And here's my nerd alert for the morning, okay? I, I usually have at least one of these. Christian growth, in many ways, is like a video game. Play a video game, you'll get this. The first levels of a game are always really easy. The bosses are really simple to beat. They're very predictable, they're very obvious. But the longer you play, the harder the game becomes. And the more subtle and complicated the problems are that you have to solve. And the longer you've been a Christian, you know that in some ways the growth process gets harder and harder as it goes deeper and deeper. And we don't move on from growth. God's work just moves further and further in. That's how it works. But even with the proper motivation and strategy in place, there's something else that Peter teaches us here. A third thing we need to keep growing. We need this to keep growing. Because the Christian faith also gives us a brand new purpose for growth. A whole new purpose. We have a new purpose for all this hard work. And you see it really in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here Peter hints that there is a real divine purpose for all this stuff, all these things God wants us to grow in. Peter says that somehow these qualities, godliness, steadfastness, love, self-control, knowledge, and others, there are lots of lists like this in the New Testament. This is an exhaustive list. 
But somehow, these characteristics, they usher us, when we grow in them, usher us into Christ's kingdom. This is another way of talking about heaven. Or to put it another way, they are preparing us for Christ's kingdom. These things are preparing us. But what does that mean? Well, sometimes in my life, I've wondered if all these rules and regulations in the Bible are just a test. They're just an arbitrary list of things to do. As if God is testing our obedience. Have you ever thought that way? It's like I have this picture in my mind that God is up there, and he's thinking, how many more hoops can I get these people to jump through, right? And if you jump through enough, then I'll let you into heaven. Have you ever thought that way? But Peter's Peter's saying, no, 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 there is a purpose for what's happening. Our growth, our holiness, is another way of saying this. Our holiness is not the entrance fee to Christ's kingdom. Our holiness is not the price we pay for the pleasures of heaven in the next life. They are the pleasures of heaven in this life, right now. There is a whole world of pleasure that only holiness, that only the mature Christian person can experience. You see, God does not command us to love our neighbor and to give to the poor and to worship him only and to be holy. He does not command us to be holy because it's a good test of your obedience. He does so because the most pleasurable and free life possible is found in service and in generosity and in faithfulness as a follower of Jesus, as an apprentice of Jesus Christ. And if we don't believe that, we will find it very difficult to grow. We must believe that. This is the best life possible. And until I learn to serve and give and worship and grow like that, I will not experience the joy God had for me from the beginning. And eventually, if I keep on that path, I will become the kind of person who does not simply not deserve heaven, but I will become the kind of person who cannot stand it. And if at the end of the day, I would rather be self-centered than God-centered, if I would rather be self, if I would rather selfishly indulge in my desires than learn self-control, if I would rather keep my stuff and my money and, not, and be stingy with it and not be generous, then I will be the kind of person who won't even want heaven even when it's offered to me. Heaven is where everything is about God. If you can't stand that now, how are you going to stand it then? You see, Christian growth is not about making you worthy of Christ's kingdom. It's preparing you for it so that you can fully experience the joy that awaits you there. That's what Peter is saying. There is a whole new purpose to your growth. In other words, even our growth, that part of the Christian life that we often feel like we owe to God, it's the least we can do, is grow. Even that is a tremendous and good gift from him. He doesn't want something from us. When he asks us to live a certain way, he wants something for us. And he promises to work in us and to take our effort, to multiply it, to make us the kind of people we were designed to be. He is preparing you to be the kind of person who loves him, who will love the kingdom he is bringing. And he wants so desperately for you to be there with him. He sent his son to die for you. He sent his spirit to empower you. He leveraged everything he has, everything he has, to usher you into his kingdom. That's what Peter's saying. 
That's why Peter can say so boldly, make every effort to add to your faith because the more you do that, the more of heaven we can experience now, today, in our lives. And that is a vision worth working for. Isn't it? Isn't it? Worth striving for, worth pushing for, worth practicing for. May God help us to grow in our faith. Let's pray. Father, we do confess, I confess, that we so often see your command for growth, your pushing us to grow as an inconvenience in our lives rather than a tremendous gift, a gift to make us ready for the pleasure, the joy you have for us that we cannot even now fathom. God, don't let us forget that. And by your spirit, empower us to be the kind of people who put effort into being who you created us to be from the beginning. We ask all these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.